While I'm pulling up the lesson here, if you want to go ahead and turn in your books, we are in lesson six on page 12. So we're continuing our study tonight in the book of First Samuel. And hopefully you all remember the sermon on Sunday so you know exactly where we're at, right? We are, we're actually getting pretty close to the end of 1 Samuel and we're getting close to the beginning of 2 Samuel, which means we're starting to see Saul's downfall and David's rise. So as one is happening, so is the other. And last time we left off with question eight. So we, uh, we were just going over the story of David and Goliath. And so if you would, turn with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll read verses 31 to 37. First Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 31, it says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they informed Saul and sent for him. And David said to Saul, May no one's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you're only a youth, and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. So question eight says, why did Saul send for David? Right at the beginning of the passage we read, why was it that Saul was sending for David? He was told what uh, David was saying. Yeah, he was told what David was saying. David's going around and telling people in the army, why is no one dealing with this guy? You know, we're, we're fighting for the living God. Why, why is no one dealing with this guy who's insulting God. And um, if you read earlier, we can see that, you know, Saul must have placed some kind of uh, reward here. It doesn't say it was directly from Saul, but it seems pretty well known around the armies that, you know, the man who defeated this Philistine was going to get some kind of reward. And nobody else seemed to want to step up and do anything about this Philistine. And so when someone does show up and starts talking about defeating this Philistine, naturally that carried through the army and found its way to Saul. David was the only one at this point showing interest in fighting Goliath. Now question nine says, what evidence did David offer Saul to show that he was able to fight the Philistine giant? So after this news makes it up to Saul and Saul is talking to David, how is David explaining that he's qualified to handle this giant? He said he killed a lion and a bear. He said he killed a lion and he killed a bear. And from the sounds of it, in some cases with his bare hands, right? It says he grabbed the lion by its mane and struck it and killed it. Now, maybe he struck it with his staff, but still, that's impressive, right? I would also 
say that not only is David putting forth that he killed a lion and he killed a bear, and that's his qualification, certainly that didn't hurt his case any, um, but I think also it's David's faith in God that is also a qualification here. You know, this is Israel. This is God's people. This is his army. And none of them want to step up and defend it. And David is showing faith in God. Now, Saul might not have that same faith at this moment, but it's not like he's a stranger to what faith in God can accomplish. He's seen it. He's seen it in his youth. So certainly he understands the power that faith can have. And so I would say that not only David killing uh, a bear and a lion, but also David's radical faith in God was probably a qualifier as well. Any thoughts? I thought maybe that, uh, you know, God was actually causing David to grow his faith so he would be ready for this moment. That was one of the things that occurred to me. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would think the same thing. And question 10 seems a little out of order to me here, actually. Um, I, I, I think that question 10 probably should have come before question 9. But it says, what was Saul's reaction to David's desire to fight Goliath? He thought as a young man, why, why would he come up with an idea that he could do it? Yeah, he said he's, he's too young and inexperienced. And he compares him to a Goliath. He says that he's been uh, a warrior since his youth. Right. So basically saying you're young, but Goliath was doing this since he's been young and he's had all this experience past which you have to be a hardened soldier. You know, you're you in no way compared to this guy, you know, let alone size. Right. So then we actually start to get into the actual fight itself. So let's continue on reading. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. I was just thinking. I took that question a little differently. I guess the last verse of that reading is sort of Saul's reaction. Saying, oh, okay. Okay then. okay, then, based on all of those pieces of evidence that he agreed, you know, go with the Lord and do it. And I kind of thought it was interesting, too. You know, we think of Saul as such a bad guy in so many ways. Yeah. But every once in a while he has his moments, and yeah. it's kind of a big risk. It is. human perspective to let this little guy yeah. go out. Do this. He puts the whole nation's and I mean, we see that God was with Saul, at least in his youth. You know, before the spirit departed from Saul, it was with Saul. And so during Saul's rise, Samuel didn't just pick Saul out of the crowd just at random. God directed him to Saul. So Certainly, God was with Saul at different points, and so this could certainly be another one of those times. So that's a good thought. I didn't think about um, the question being interpreted that way. Any other thoughts before we, we continue here? Okay, great. So picking back up in verse 38. So in verse 38, we start to get into the, the actual fight itself here, and it says, Then Saul clothed David with his military attire. And he put a bronze helmet on his head and outfitted him with armor. And David strapped on his sword over his military attire, and he struggled at walking, for he had not trained with the armor. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, because I have not trained with them. And David took them off. 
Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, that is, in his shepherd's pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came and approached David with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he was contemptuous of him, for he was only a youth and with reddish and a handsome uh, and reddish with a handsome appearance. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But David said to the Philistine, You come to fight me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. Then it happened when the Philistine came closer to meet David, that David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took the sword and drew it out of its sheath and finished him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose up and shouted, and they pursued the Philistines as far as the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the Philistine dead lay along the way to Sha'arim, even to Gath and Ekron. Then the sons of Israel returned from their close pursuit of the Philistines and plundered their camps. And David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul had seen David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. And the king said, You, then, ask whose son this youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Okay, so a long reading. Now I'm winded. It's time for you to talk. So question 11 says, why did David not use Saul's armor? And what did he use instead? So let's start first with the first half of that. Why didn't he use the armor that was provided to him? Too heavy. It was too heavy. He wasn't trained with it? He hadn't tried it out. He hadn't tried it out? Yeah. It was unfamiliar to him. You know? It was it was not normal to him. I don't know if any of you have ever played sports, but, you know, the first time you ever put on any protective gear or, or anything that your sport requires, it feels weird, right? It feels weird to wear shoulder pads or shin guards or a helmet, and it feels awkward to move in. And so you go to practices and you train in it so you know how to not trip over your own two feet, Right? 
David had the same problem. And it says, so what did he use instead? So he's not going out to meet this giant in armor. So what is he taking with him instead? Yeah. Yeah, it says that he took his staff, five smooth stones, his pouch to hold the stones, and a sling. So I have a, a bonus question for you here. It's not written in here. Why did he take five stones? Obviously, we know that David has an, a massive amount of faith in God. He knows he's going to win because God is watching over him. Even when David talks to Goliath, he even knows that he's not he's going to kill him with his sling. He's not going to kill him with a sword or a spear or anything like that. He only uses the sword to cut off Goliath's head in the end, right? So why does he pick up five stones? Kim? Yeah, that could be it. Any other thoughts? I, I didn't hear what she said. I she said that from David's past experience in killing the lion and the bear, maybe it took five stones to take down a lion and a bear. And so maybe he's going off of his experience thinking, I'm going to have to hit this guy a couple times, but he is going to go down. So that's possible too. Any other thoughts? Well, my, my thought was he, he wanted to be prepared, not just one stone, then if it didn't kill him, then he... Right. He needed more than one. He, was, yeah. he needed reassurance. So. It doesn't, I don't think it shows a lack of faith on David's part that he picked up a couple stones. He still knows that victory is assured. He's just making sure that he's ready for the battle, right? Well, for all we know, God might have told him to take five stones. He could have had some kind of sign. Yeah. 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 Well, if you would be in the army, you wouldn't just take one bullet. No. <laughs> right. Even if you're only fighting one guy, right? I have a thought too, but I want to hear what everyone else has to say. Matt, you look like you have a. I don't have an answer to that question, but I, I, I did do some reading that. Uh, you know, this is a story you hear as a kid, right? Yeah. And they have the stuff and the. For little kids, and I've always envisioned like a little, a little stone, but for what I've read, it's more like a, like a softball size yeah. stone they would have used. So you imagine hurling something like that? That was yeah. pretty serious. But anyway, that, I don't know yeah. if that's answered your question. No, I mean. This is, this is all speculation. The Bible doesn't call out specifically why David chose five stones. We'll never know that. Um, it's, it's interesting to wonder sometimes. I actually thought maybe it's because Goliath had four brothers. We can read about that in uh, 2 Samuel um, chapter 21. Um, it states that Goliath had four brothers and each was uh, a similar stature to him. They were all giants. And so... I don't know if those men, those other giants were assembled there in plain view and everyone thought, well, even if we take down Goliath, we've got those four to deal with. Because later, David and his champions, they go out and face these men and they kill them in battle. So maybe David thought, well, maybe I'm going to have to fight them too. And I'll just take a stone for each one. So we don't know. But if, if you're curious, if you want to read about that before we get to that point, about uh, Goliath's brothers. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 21. So, um, If you're really curious, specifically it's in verses 16 through 22. 
So that's a little tangent there on my part, but we'll jump back into the guided script here. Uh, question 12 says, what was Goliath's reaction upon seeing David approach him to fight? And then how does David respond? How does, da how does Goliath handle this little kid coming out to, well, not little kid, but a youth coming out to see him? I thought, I think he thought he was boring and listening to him. Yeah, he had to make fun of him, you know. And he kind of does. Why, why you? Yeah. Almost like it was an insult, I think. Yeah, he's, he's thinking that they're insulting him, right? It says he looked at David with contempt. You know, you're sending a little kid out. I'm clearly the best guy in this army. He's clearly not the best guy in your army, you know? And if you remember, who would have been, at least appearances sake, who would have been the best man in that army? Saul, right? It's said that when Saul was elected as king or chosen as king, that he was he was head and shoulders above every other man in Israel, right? Saul is very clearly the biggest guy there, and he's the leader. He's the most important guy there. Clearly, he is the natural match to go against Goliath, and yet he's not going out. Instead, they're sending David. So, Goliath is contemptuous of this. He says, you know, am I a dog that you're coming at me with sticks? You know, you're coming at me with nothing. It's a little stick. So it also says that after that, he curses him by his own gods, right? So he's cursing him by uh, the Philistine gods. So he goes on a little bit of a rant at David there at the end. But how does David respond? Well, to make it short and simple, he just says, I have God. Yeah, that's a good summary. Yeah. He also told him he's going to take his head off. Yeah. Yeah, it's that that whole particular passage is interesting in how it's stated because David is saying that God does not save by sword or spear in this instance, right? And so when David wins, there's no sword in his hand. He it. The wording is that he kills uh, Goliath when that stone hits him. Um, in verse, let's see, verse 48, I think is what it is, when the, the stone actually hits him. Um, oh, no, it's, I'm sorry, it's verse 50. It says, he struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in his hand. So when the stone hit, he killed him, but he did go after he did go over afterwards and cut off his head with Goliath's sword because he promised he was going to do that, right? So he killed him without the sword, but he went over and he finished what he said he was going to do with the sword. So very, very specific prophecy that happens and then gets fulfilled. Any other thoughts or comments on, on that particular section? Just, you know, Goliath was expecting a guy to come out armored. He was mm -hmm. expecting that style of fighting. He wasn't expecting someone to come out with a projectile and a sling. So. Yeah. You have to wonder how Philistine battle tactics changed after that point, right? <laughs> Pat? It's interesting that you went to uh, Second Samuel to find out about the brothers. Because later on, David comes to one of the priests at the temple. And he says, 
I need to go to battle, but I don't have a weapon. And he he unwraps the sword that was Goliath and hands it to her. Yeah. That's awesome. It's neat how it, it all comes together, huh? Okay, verse 14, or I'm sorry, not verse 14, uh, question 17 says, what did the Israelites do upon David's victory? So David finishes this battle, he's, he's struck off Goliath's head. What does, Israel, what does Israel do? What do the Israelites do? Yeah, they were emboldened. They jumped up. It says they rose up and pursued them. Uh, they pursued them for quite a ways, you know. Um, and then it says that they came back after they were done chasing them, after they were done pursuing them. And it says they plundered their camps. So they got some, some spoils of battle there, too. Okay, so question 15 says, How is the mind and character of David revealed in this chapter? What kind of man does David show himself to be? There are a lot of different ways you can go with this. So what did you come up with? Matt? Trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord more than himself. Trusting in the Lord more than himself, certainly. He was fearless and a God's leader, and he was told that he was a man after God's own heart. Yep. Fearless, a man after God's own heart. He reminds me of Caleb back earlier where he saw what the people were like he saw what the obstacles were just like david saw yeah life was a giant but he did trust in the lord yep i personally wrote down that he was someone who believed in god and gave god the credit the whole way through you know when when he was saying what was gonna happen it wasn't because he's saying look how mighty i am david i'm it didn't say that he thought he was some great warrior. He knew that he was going to win because he was fighting for God. You know, so the whole the whole way he's giving God the credit. He's giving God the credit for the victory even before the victory happens. Okay, good. Question 16 says, how does David show himself to be uh show himself fit to be a ruler? in the kingdom of God. So slightly different question. Uh, I think the two overlap a little bit. Um, certainly you could say uh, because he trusts God. Um, but how does he show himself fit to be a ruler in the kingdom of God? He doesn't listen to men. He listens to God. Doesn't listen to men, listens to God. Okay. And he acts immediately. He acts immediately. Matt? leadership in the, in the sight of all of these Israelite soldiers not taking the challenge and even the king himself, the tallest mm -hmm. one as you pointed out, yep. all being cowardly, he he led and showed the way and then of course at the end they all the soldiers in. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the best ways to see how David is fit for leadership is to compare and contrast him to Saul and see how Saul is unfit to be a leader, at least at that point. Um, you know, Saul is Saul is looking at the outer man instead of the inner man. Saul is trusting in worldly things versus godly things at that point. All good answers. Anything else, Rick? Like you said before, too, he recognizes God is the source of his victories. So yes. That's a huge deal. Absolutely. Let's see. I think we have time to answer at least one or two 
of uh, lesson seven. So let's go ahead and flip, flip in your books over to lesson seven, just one page over. I, yes, I go have, ahead. I have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, before we do that. <laughs> yeah. Mine translates that as weapons. So you're thinking that's like the stones and the staff and the and yeah, well, the actual armor that that Saul had put on him. My my interpretation of this, my understanding, first of all, is that he didn't immediately rush the head over to Jerusalem. This would have been later, right? So he kills Goliath. He, it says he went to Saul with the head in his hands as a trophy. It's not until later that he go, David goes to Jerusalem. So I think that that got carried as a trophy to Jerusalem. And he put his, he put his sling, his staff, the, those things that he was carrying um, in the tent. I, I don't know if anyone had another... My, my translation does say he put his armor in his tent, but I took that to be Goliath's armor. Yeah. Oh! Times, you know, he took, he took Goliath's weapon and, and armor and put that it's in. It's true. Because, I mean, he did pick up Goliath's sword, yeah. And he kept that sword. Right. So that's how I understood that. Well, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. And that sword shows up, I forget the passage, but later on. Right. The, the, the priests have it. Some yeah. So yeah, that that makes sense that verse fifty four is referring to Goliath's armor, not David's armor. That makes sense. Okay. The other question. I have. Yeah. In um, verse fifty eight, this is Saul saying to David, uh, he wanted to know whose son he was. Mm -hmm. I thought that now. Straight on this, I thought that David, I thought Saul had sent for David to be his to play the yes. partner. Yes, so that's a that's a very good point. And why wouldn't he have known him? In those days, it was common practice for sometimes a screen to be between the person, uh, the the audience, and the person who's playing. Right, so you have. Saul's room or his quarters or his royal court, wherever he was hanging out and having his bad moods. And there's a screen off to the side and David's playing behind it. And that's just, you know, you're a common person. He's royalty. And he, while he asked for a musician and one of his servants found him a musician, which was David, he might not have necessarily personally been communicating and seeing David all that much. And you have to remember when Saul called for David at, at those points, he was in a bad, bad way mentally, right? So there's a couple options. It could be that Saul just was so distracted with the spirit that was disturbing him that he doesn't recognize David, that he's, he's falling more and more into madness. It could be because he just actually didn't see David's face because of 
where David was playing from, or maybe he was playing in an alcove in a balcony somewhere, you know, for down for Saul and Saul didn't see his face. There's a couple things like that where David was in his presence, but not necessarily like, you know, giving each other high fives kind of thing. You know, they weren't face to face the way that they are here. Right. It says in, uh, yeah. back in verse 15 of chapter 17, that David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. So he didn't like stay and live permanently there anyway. And Saul, not to be insulting, he would have considered him another servant. Right. Probably wouldn't have paid that much attention to him. And that's just... Yeah, he was just beneath Saul's notice at that point. You know, he, he liked David's playing, but he was kind of beneath his notice. Think about, you know, you hear a song on the radio and you're like, oh, I like this song. Don't know who plays it, but I do like the sound of it. You know, and after a while, you hear a couple songs by the same person and you're like, oh... Well, they make a lot of stuff I like. I'm going to make an effort to know, like, what what musician plays this. And then you become familiar with them and find their other stuff. It, it's kind of like that. Okay. That's the way I read it. Just, just a question. Yeah. Any other questions? Those are good. No. <laughs> yeah. So what I thought she was going to ask in verse 54 is something I was thinking about. What's that? So the whole business of Jerusalem, uh, he took for his head. Yeah. Jerusalem, but um, it didn't occur to me immediately that he hadn't taken Jerusalem. And that's, of course, later in his... And that's one of the reasons that I think that it, it is, they, they hang on to it as a trophy. Yeah. You know, I know it's gross to think about, but somehow preserved it or something. Some yeah, maybe it's just a skull. Maybe it's preserved, which is gross, but, it, you know, stuff like that happens. But since Jerusalem wasn't in Israelite territory at that time, maybe he kind of took it there to put them on notice. Right. The, the army of the Lord is victorious and watch right. out. Of course, then later. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's a good point to bring up. All right, so we'll pick up with Lesson 7 next week because we are out of time now. Um, but good commentary by everyone. Really appreciate everyone's participation. And we'll dive into the story of uh, David and Jonathan next week. So if you want to do any uh, pre-reading Go ahead and read through chapter 18. So, by way of invitation, if you'd like to turn with me over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to read there in, in just a moment. But how many of you, during this winter that we had, I know it's starting to warm up now, but how many of you during this winter have at some point just felt like curling up into a nice comfy blanket or you've gotten yourself a nice hot chocolate because it's been really cold, you know, and you're just like hugging that mug or maybe it's a cup of coffee and it's really comforting. I certainly have, right? Or, or maybe you've been sick and you wanted some chicken noodle soup, you know, you laid on the couch eating your chicken noodle soup, watching reruns of an old favorite show of yours. We do things like that because of comfort. We go through hard times, and sometimes we need comfort. And Paul speaks about comfort in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 2, Paul's addressing the church at Corinth, and he kind of starts out his letter with this short little prayer, and he says, Grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So Paul sometimes gets a little hard, hard to follow with the way he writes, you know, especially in, in Romans. But it, here in verse 4, he's basically saying, God comforts us sometimes. And because we know what that comfort looks like, we're able to give the same type of comfort to others who are going through hard times because God's comforted us. We know what comfort looks like and we can share that with others. There are times when we go through hard times in our lives, when we face afflictions and we just need a little bit of comfort. And we know that God provides that comfort in abundance. Not only that, not only does he comfort us, but he teaches us how to comfort others. So not only are we able as Christians to turn to God for comfort, we can turn to each other for comfort because we know best how to comfort one another. We can copy what Jesus has done for us. We can be living our Christ-like lives and know how to comfort each other by following the great physician. And with that, I want to leave you with a couple of words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 in verse 32. I find these words to be a comfort from time to time. And so as God comforts me with these words, I hope that these words will be a comfort to you on occasion. Matthew chapter 10 in verse 32 says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will also confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. Looking out, I see that everyone here, I'm pretty sure I know everyone here has been baptized. And so you've all gone through those five steps of salvation. I'm sure all of you can recite them uh, from heart. If not, have them embroidered somewhere in your house. You know, and one of those steps is that we confess the name of Jesus Christ publicly. We do that as a part of the process of our salvation before we're baptized. And then we go on and we live our Christ-like lives trying to follow Jesus. Jesus is telling us here that those people who make that commitment, who are willing to confess his name publicly, he's going to hold up his end and he's going to confess us before God. All of us have confessed Jesus here. And all of us are still here. And though we may stumble from time to time and we may go through hardships and afflictions, we may even fall away for a season and come back. We have all confessed Jesus, and we have all done our best to follow him. And that's a comfort for us, because there are times, I'm sure you're like me, where you wonder, am I really going to heaven? Have you know? Am I living the life I need to live? But the simple answer is no, we're not living the life we need to live, because we're all sinners, and we all fall short. No deed that we do individually is going to get us to heaven. It's God's grace extended through Jesus, it gets us to heaven. And here, Jesus, with his own words, 
is encouraging us and comforting us by telling us that by entering in to that agreement to follow after him, to be his disciples and confess his name before the world, he will follow up and he will confess our name before God. I hope that that comforts you a little bit in whatever situation you're in or whatever walk of life you're in. If you happen to need more comfort than that, though, if there's some other hardship, God's here and so are we to help you share that burden. If there's anything else you need, let it be known on the uh, front bench while we stand and while we sing.